Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Now you remember Mrs. Sadie Smuggery. Media Project, it's a little bit of analysis for you with some veteran observers of what's going on in the news media. I am Rex Smith, former editor of the Times Union, now with the Upstate American Weekly Report, and I am happy to be here with Dr. Alan Shartok, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio, with Ira Fussfeld, former publisher of the Daily Freeman and affiliated publications in Kingston, New York, and with Rosemary Armeo, investigative journalist, professor, and world traveler. Rosemary, you're not going to be here for a while. Yeah, I'm taking a small trip to a not not a beach. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll miss you, but I promise there will be a media project here for you when you get back. Not so much can we be sure that there will be modern newsrooms available when you get back. You know, more newsrooms dying and so on. And there is legislation that I know Dr. Shartok favors very much to yeah. uh, help federal legislation to help newsrooms. You like that stuff, don't you, Alan? No. Uh, <laughs> I think that the government ought to keep their hands off the news media, period. Not giving it any resources let them either sink or swim on their own. So get rid of the tax exemption for WAMC and the federal support through the Corporation of Public Broadcasting. Hey, if it is and if it does, okay. Aren't you getting some competition from national NPR and fundraising coming up? Well, I don't know about that. I tend to ignore them, Rosemary, because <laughs> I don't always like them. So I just let them go their own way. I know the one thing that has been extraordinary to me is how the People who listen to this radio station support it and how they put money into it. And as far as I'm concerned, that's all that we have to well, think about. Well, it's tax about. deductible for them, of course. Again, government subsidy. So You, you know, you, you know the problem with you, Rex, <laughs> is you're such a cynic. You think that the only reason that people support this no. public radio station is because it's tax deductible? I do not agree with I you. I don't think that's true either. No. no. But there is a report that NPR nationally is going to be more directly soliciting funds from local listeners, and it potentially would be at the expense of stations like WAMC. They're going to afford them the opportunity online to donate to N either NPR or to their local station. And I would be concerned if I was running a local station because even if it's inadvertent, a lot of people don't make the distinction between NPR and the local station. And it's possible that some money that would have been earmarked for a local station is going to go directly to NPR. Yeah. Or it's Same possible that NPR will be donating more money to WAMC. Yeah, well, I don't know about that donating, but maybe cutting that, dues. That is part of what they're saying. The yeah. idea of all this supposedly is to help those stations that are not like WAMC raising right. a lot of money on their own within their local community. And so NPR would raise some and then share it. But I think Ira's got a point that here the possibility is that they would be cutting into. But there are donations. $20 million weekly digital users, NPR, only 1% of them 
give money. Mm -hmm. So that's who they're trying to tap is get some of that money back, and then they would give more money to you, Alan. Uh, no, they won't. No, I have to. Say, no, they won't. And I, I have to say, I don't like them. I never have. I think that it's extremely unwise for them to, in any way, threaten the money that is coming to the various local stations, which I think does most of the work. So I don't. I certainly don't agree with your cynical, snide, condescending view. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you something that I've always found interesting. There, there's no question that the demographic for public radio is high-end, affluent to a large degree, and certainly intelligent to an even larger degree. And I would imagine you guys have experienced the same thing. People will come up to me and say, oh, I heard you on NPR the other mm -hmm. day. Yeah, they, they, they won't say WAMC. They'll say NPR. Mm -hmm. And then I have to make the distinction for them. Well, do you, you say to them, no, just listen here. Tell us what No, what think. I say is AMC stands for Alan Mr. Chartuck. <laughs> I always wonder where the M came from. Yeah, I said. But anyway, the legislation that we started to talk about has to do with the JCPA, the Journalism Protection Act, something like that, to create an antitrust exemption so that news organizations can bargain collectively for payment from the companies that distribute their content online, like Facebook and so on. But you're opposed to that, Alan, giving the newspapers just a chance us. to take on the big tech giants. Just leave us alone. Let us do what we've been doing. You people are always trying to get your hooks into us and uh, get our money. And I was born a Chartok twin. And when the Chartok twins smelled problems, trouble, we were always the first ones to get into your face. And you can expect that's going to happen again. Uh, there's a separate piece of legislation that tries to give tax credits to people who subscribe to local news or advertise in their outlets and hire journalists for them. That has kind of been sidelined. That's not Well, I anywhere. hate to say it, but I'm a little bit closer to Alan than I'd uh, like Thank to Thank you, Ira. You're I, a darn I, good person. Well, I, I've been consistent about this. We've talked about this subject many times over the last few years, and it just makes me nervous to have the government giving us tax breaks or giving us lump sum payments. That said, we're on our deathbed. there. You were fine. <laughs> <laughs> we're on our deathbed, and we are reaching out our hand. Give me something to keep me alive, and this is the best option right now. So but who's it's the where? We're on our deathbed. Who is where? Where is, is the print newspaper business? No, it's not just print. It's not. You Television stations are in the same, same situation. Right. Yeah. Everybody is. And if you didn't get tax breaks, you would be too. And the fact is, if you didn't get tax breaks Say and again. federal aid, uh, the same thing would be true. You know, local news is in big trouble and our democracy is in big trouble in part because local news is failing and real journalism is failing. And so you may not like the idea of tax breaks helping people who give money or you may not like to help even the playing field, as I would call it, between little news organizations and great big tech. But I think you need to do that because that's the greater good when you don't have news organizations surviving. And that is one of the reasons why democracy is under attack. I don't know, Rex. You know, not that long ago, I was sitting in the beach in Great Barrington, and we have a little beach there. And, oh, yeah. and the phone rang, and there was somebody from your old newspaper. Which one? The Times Union. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wanted to know about, you know, whether I get paid, why should I get paid, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's always uh, interesting to me 
that the existing media is so competitive with the, what, the, what? the job of the media is to look at the institutions of power and influence in a community, and that is certainly WAMC. You can't disagree. So your salary and how the station is run is absolutely I have valid, no valid. And the news media has spent years protecting and not covering its own problems and mm -hmm. offenses. And the fact that the news business is in such horrible shape that it is on its deathbed, as you say, is in part due to terrible management that was never examined well by the media. So good for that reporter, and I hope you gave him an honest answer. Oh, I you gave deserve, him a very deserve, honest answer. You deserve the salary you get, <laughs> and there's no problem with it, and you should yeah. just tell them that, and that's the end of it. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. You Thank go. you for that, Rosemary. You're, you're a good welcome. person, I think. <laughs> well, I tell you what, if the regarding this bill that you're talking about, if the election goes as it appears to be going this week, all of us, including public radio, are going to be threatened because there Absolutely. are people in the autocratic right who would be very happy if we went away. And the odds of this bill passing under a Republican Congress are almost zero. And worse could occur beyond that, depending on who's the next president. I've always felt, by the way, and I've said it on this show enough, that when they take our money away, we'll survive because of the people who listen to us. And, you know, that's not such a bad thing. Hope that's right, because I think that that's probably true. If Republicans take Congress, they'll probably come after the Corporation of Public Broadcasting and question. all that funding. And I mean, I actually inherited a pen that LBJ used to sign the Public Broadcasting Act. Really? Isn't that Where cool? is it? He also artifact. signed the First Freedom of Information Act, too. Yeah. Those days are long gone. We haven't done that great under Democratic regimes, <laughs> and that is the right word for America these days, regimes, in recent years. We've lost the Supreme Court. If any libel or First Amendment issue goes to the Supreme Court, you're going to see newspapers in the same shape as women in this country without rights they used to have. It's dire. That brings us to the talk of the election, which as we speak and as this show is aired, lies just ahead. Without knowing, of course, how it's going to turn out, we can talk about how we have covered it, how this has gone on. What do we think about journalism and the election that we're about to face? Rosemary, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I guess there's two things I would bring up. Polls, which we still rely on too much, even at the same time we've been writing increasingly about how unreliable and wrongly used they are. We use them as a horse race predictor, and that's not at all what they're supposed to do, and they don't do. They've been wrong for the, at least the last two presidential election cycles, yet we have no other go-to, so that's a problem. The other one is opinions. It's no longer possible, I think, in the post-Trump era to cover things as equally fairly in terms of time and effort on Republican and Democrat to treat them the same. So as soon as you start saying, as you just did, Rex, that you know our democracy is in danger, that's political coverage. And is it fair? I think it's certainly needed, but it's only being heard by half the population. Newspaper editorials is another area that we might talk about. They've been extremely forceful, but then they were with Trump, too, if you remember that. Publications that never put out editorials said, whoa, he's a danger. And there were it was overwhelming. I think there were three newspapers in the entire country who said vote for Trump. That's a sign, and yet it was not heeded by the electorate. So increasingly, I feel that we're like voices, like Cassandra, 
you know, yelling doom and no one's really paying attention. You know, I agree with you about the polls. Again, we've talked about this for at least two or three or more election cycles. And it's striking how polls on whatever race you're going to choose that will be different from one poll to the next. How do you think coverage would be portrayed if they simply ignored the polls? If we just said to ourselves as editors and reporters, this is not reliable. It's too wildly diverse. Let's just not report on polls. How would that impact the coverage? Well, I take it you're you're just speculating because if there's a tool like a poll available to a newspaper editor and it looks like people will be interested, they're going to do it. So, you know, we can say, well, suppose there weren't any men in the world or this or that. doesn't make much sense to me. Well, it's obviously not going to happen, but we're just sort of musing here. Even if the New York Times, which conducts its own poll and has confidence in its result, if the New York Times poll says candidate X is 10% ahead of candidate B, but then another poll says it's 2%, does that happens mean happens all the time? The Times actually, just time. to correct the record, the Times contracts with Siena College, and it is the New York Times-Siena poll. That's who their current contractor is. But the instrument is shaped in collaboration. You know, when I was the editor of the Times Union, we contracted with Siena for the Times Union-Siena poll. And the same kind of thing. You work with the pollsters, but the actual work is done by pollsters. And, you know, it is interesting. I think your point is well taken that you trust the poll that you commission, that you're a part of. But the problem I think that Rosemary is alluding to is that we just don't know if polling itself is valid anymore. Yeah, I mean, polls are a tool. So if you used a poll that you you trust and it shows, for example, that suburban women are not going to vote for Trump this time out, that's a news tip. It's not the headline. Sienna shows, you know, that Trump is going to lose because that's what we saw. But what it should have been was the beginning of reporting where you go out and you talk to suburban women and find out what their concerns were and if indeed you can find people who can articulate that apparent trend. And that would be, if it were used as a news tip, as an example of where you should you, you should put your coverage resources, that would be great. But we don't. We right. make and them the story. Right. The More often the story. than not, the headline will be Trump losing support among suburban women. Correct. As if that was factual. Correct. And, you know, newspapers have tried in the past to come up with a model for better election coverage. Do you remember the whole idea where we're going to poll or survey readers, yeah. find what they really care about, and then we try to force candidates to talk about those issues? And if they didn't, if they said, no, I'm not going to talk about that, we didn't cover them. Strom Thurmond was in one of those districts. The North Carolina paper tried coverage that way. And he said, you know, the hell with you. I'm not going to talk to you. And he won big anyway. (laughs) So you can't shape coverage, I think, according to a news philosophy. You have to just go cover the news. And polls can be a tool to find out what stories you should be covering, but they are not themselves. And yet, Rosemary, I have to take you on on this a little bit. I think individual people have personalities, and those personalities are reflected as reporters or as pollsters and what they ask and how they ask it. I have no real confidence that we should be paying all that much attention. Well, a news tip is something you pay attention to. You don't print it. You don't necessarily believe it. And your reporting may well disprove it. That's what I'm saying is the way polls should be treated. So give me an example of a news tip that may come to your mind. An actual news tip that's not a poll? Okay, somebody comes in and says the mining operations in West Virginia, which are a source of great money, are chopping off the tops of hills and just killing the environment. And this was not taken seriously, except for a few reporters who went out and found, lo and behold, Mm -hmm. it was true. And it was a major story. There's all kinds of stories. In my own newsroom in Baltimore, there was a fire at the harbor and a ship burned. And the editor set reporters down and they found people saying, well, it's a ship because it's 
old, it's on its way to be junked, and uh, it's it's really dangerous. It's bad, and that led the, the reporters didn't see it. It was this editor who just felt, wow, we're getting a tip here. We got to follow it, and it, it led from Baltimore to Brownsville, Texas, to India, where it was a Pulitzer Prize-winning story about the shipwrecking industry. Uh, which would cause great danger, lots of money, danger, uh, discrimination, because all the workers were uh, brown people from Brownsville, Texas. That started with a ridiculous-sounding tip. Yeah, that this wasn't tips, just a you know a fire. It's that it was really a wonderful thing for people to consider that actually you're doing something of a patriotic duty when you actually reach out with a tip to a news person. You may not know what you have. I'll give you an example. When I was a young reporter on Long Island, I got a tip that there was a baby born severely handicapped at Stony Brook University Hospital, where the parents had decided not to intervene to save the life of this newborn infant, but some other outside individual had gone to court to try to get themselves appointed as the guardian of that child so that they could then step in to try to save that child's life. This was an interesting tip that came to me that ended up, I had just left the beat, and so I passed it on to the editor I had worked for, and and it became a Pulitzer Prize-winning story called Baby Jane Doe. It became a big investigation. You didn't get that Pulitzer Prize. Well, I had left to go become a TV reporter for one year. It was the worst decision of my life. It would have been my Pulitzer. No, uh, but in any case, it did provoke a months-long investigation with many great journalists involved, but it starts with a tip. Same thing when there was this garbage barge off Long Island that was nobody would allow this garbage barge to come ashore to dump their garbage. Nobody wanted the garbage. And this became another big investigative story. So you never publish a tip. The same thing is true of polling. I think that's Rosemary's point. If you use a poll as a tip sheet to give you an idea of where your reporting can go instead of just taking the raw numbers and saying, okay, here's where it is. Here's how this election is going to turn out. Then we would have better political journalism. I wonder whether or not statistically newsrooms are receiving as many tips as they did when we were young journalists. Because right now you don't have to call the radio station or the newspaper or the TV station. You just post it yourself and see where it goes. You know, I guess if it's a particularly trustworthy the tipster, he or she may feel like going to a traditional news organization is the best place for it because it'll add credibility to it. But on the other hand, other people simply just post it to the internet and see how far it flies. And then the newspaper or the mainstream media outlet will likely see it and then decide what to do with it. Not only that, Ira, you're quite right, because almost every story has that section afterwards, which allows people to comment on what the story was. And that's sometimes where you see the tips. That's true. And, and most many places certainly don't have the resources to be reading those things very carefully. The best tips come to reporters on the beat. That is reporters who spend a lot of time and write a lot of stories about a particular area or subject. And they become known as people who are interested and expert in this area. And you'll find tipsters will go to them. And that's exactly another one more thing that we are losing with the decline of uh, newspapers, which have always been print always the closest to the communities they don't have beat reporters at all now they're all becoming generalists because everybody scrambles to cover there's not enough to go around to actually do beats the beats are becoming much bigger unmanageable and you don't have that personal touch with your readers that we used to have it's all being lost i think 
Yeah, it's too bad there aren't some mechanisms to try to help support those newsrooms, like tax breaks, to uh, yeah. help. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there we go again. Because <laughs> then you could have those beat reporters restored and actually have that great journalism and watchdog reporting. There mm. actually are ways to have the government give money and support and stay out of it. And we've seen that in Britain for decades, and we've always, like, haughtily said, no, no, we're not going to have government involved in our business. And the result is that um, we're on our deathbed. Yeah, well, and we don't know whether or not the BBC, for example, pulls its punches unbeknownst to the public because of the government money. You think? I don't. I think that there are watchdogs that have looked over that, that keep track of it. In Australia, by the way, this tax legislation that I'm suggesting, I'm sorry, the antitrust exemption that would enable uh, news organizations to bargain with the big platforms in Australia, that's led to $140 million going from those big tech platforms to local newsrooms. See that's what he did good. here, Alan. He I circled did. back around to that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that was who. clever. And at 140 million is a very nice, tidy, large sum. Most of which is going to go to the larger organizations, and it's not going to give a hoot to the newspapers that have 10,000 circulation and very little revenue. How many? How many circulation? did the Kingston Freeman have which you used to run? I hesitate to say because, first of all, I don't have the specific number, but needless to say, it's about a third of what it was when uh, I was there. But was it about 10,000? Yeah, well, yes. 10,000 on Sunday would be about what the Daily Freeman is now. I think we, at our peak, we were over 30,000. And that kind of gap is similar to what most newspapers are experiencing. I, I have worried that even if the antitrust exemption were granted and we could negotiate, we still are in a bad position. The big platforms, the big tech platforms are moving away from news. We've seen that with Facebook, which decided, no, no, we want to put our money someplace else. Twitter under Elon Musk, you think he's going to be supporting news? What is going to happen to Twitter? So oh. Elon Musk is taking this over and, you know, he's saying he believes in a freer hand. It seems as though he will bring back some of those who've been banned, perhaps including Donald Trump, right? Well, what's going to kill Twitter is if, in fact, he follows through on what he's discussing is he's going to be asking contributors to Twitter to pay to get the authentic. Verification. Oh, yeah, on the site. I mean, can you imagine it's like we run a newspaper and somebody brings us the article and we're asking them for money, not the other way around. So they're going to be losing people. They already are losing countless numbers of people who are were on Twitter. And it ultimately, just like with newspapers lose circulation, they're going to get less advertising revenue. It's an amazing thing that a guy purportedly as smart as uh, Elon Musk paid $44 what, billion, billion for yeah. Incredible. And then it's paying out millions more to sack all the existing. Yeah, uh, he's cutting his staff by half. And, and in his first week, he makes a giant misstep by putting out misinformation. Yeah, he, he quoted a piece Pelosi. of disinformation from this thing site called the Santa Monica Observer, which had raised some outrageous notions that somehow Paul Pelosi was in fact, I don't know. In a homosexual engagement with his attacker. Yeah, he which invited is... invited him into the home. Absolutely yeah. untrue. This is the same quote-unquote newspaper that reported Hillary Clinton was dead and there was a body double filling in for her. Not a reliable source. And Musk picks this up and runs it right after telling... Uh, uh, advertisers, don't worry, it's not going to be a free-for-all, it's going to be fine. General Motors has said we're reviewing our advertising on Twitter. I think that if he doesn't get his act together way fast, it's going to go the way of Parlay and Truth Social. It'll be one more failed internet platform, and that's a shame because it has been very important for political discourse over the last four or five years. It had become the new, almost like a wire service. If you wanted to see what was breaking, you'd go to Twitter. It's, it it a, remains that at this point. I mean, people are still journalists more 
more than anybody are really deeply engaged with Twitter more than ordinary citizens. You know, Twitter is much, much smaller than either YouTube or Facebook, but it still is the language of journalists in the United States. It's still where people share the stories. Are you still on? I, dro- still on. I dropped off. I oh. dropped off the day that Musk took over. I got a blue check mark. I didn't oh, did you pay for that. it? No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> well, I've lost a couple of I never had a huge number of followers, but I've lost a couple of hundred in the last week, which I presume are people who left. Yep. Really? And Rosemary's got the greatest handle, or no longer using it, R2 Croak. <laughs> it has quite... nothing to do with death. It was I'm not sure. What, well, what were you I thinking? Oh, they... I thought it had to do with ready to croak. I no. know. That was... <laughs> so, like... so what you guys could do for the audience who may have no idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> oh, um, Alan. Uh, uh, maybe <laughs> yeah. you would be kind enough to... What is Twitter? No, we know what Twitter is, but okay. what your positions there were that people were following. We were just following. members. Yeah, yeah, you you sign up for an account, readers. you didn't cost you anything to sign up, and you start writing and posting and do whatever you want. And then you follow people or institutions, and then you can see what they're saying. And so if anybody wanted to do that, what would they do specifically? I'm you doing go to Twitter.com and you sign up. There you go. www.twitter.com. Did you hear that the movie these are talkies now. <laughs> <laughs> Rosemary looked, <laughs> Rosemary looked at Rex as if to say, what is what, this idiot talking about? What are we doing? Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, we'll get to the end. Well, I, I sound like Jay Leno talking to Hugh Grant with you use R2 Croak. What the hell were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> All right, off air, I'll tell you the All story. Right, okay, uh, all right. But, Alan, go back to politics just for a second. Please. We never got the Ph.D. in political science to speak to us here about this uh, election in general. Are you concerned that Americans haven't gotten a sense of the most important issues confronting us. Here's an example. Sure. Climate change. You know, people aren't really talking about climate change. Yeah, Candidates right. aren't, that is. Yeah. Is there and anything been more quite important? A while. Yeah. Right. I mean, what do you think journalists should do more about that? Well, yes, I do. I think journalists should talk more about climate change and less about, you know, what some of their competitors' salaries are. <laughs> 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 so he not, circles back, Eric, too, you see. Do you feel like there's a separate conversation yeah. going on there? There's some agendas in the room You see a little today. pit bull grabbing onto a doggy toy, yeah. and he won't let go. So if candidates are not talking about these topics, journalists can only carry them so far. You can't push them into saying something. It's We've always called it agenda setting, and the real question is, who's doing the agenda setting? Is it the media's job to set the agenda for what the discussions ought to be about a particular election, or is it something that just should somehow come up. It used to be the job of the media to set the agenda, and I think that we were actually better off when they were doing it. But candidates have learned that they now don't have to do anything that the media wants. They go directly to the people and they talk about what they want. You see this not just in news, but in debates. Where you sound bitter. You sound bitter about that. I sound worried about it, Alan. I think that the level of our political discourse is is, is dropping. There's all kinds of problems that come from dropping the media and having no replacement. There's no replacement for it. Everybody is making decisions on their own. There's no agreed truth. There's no agreed history even. I think it's terrifying. Well, but somebody listening to this radio station and this radio show, The Media Project, right now is going to say 
That is so self-seeking on the part of journalists who say that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I've heard this, that we're like the old railroad guys who sit around and talk about the, old, the good old days rather than seeing the bigger picture of transportation. I am willing to accept that if you can tell me what the replacement is. What do I look at instead that gives me what I used to get from a newspaper, a real newspaper, which we hardly have anymore. Even the New York Times and the Washington Post are now making decisions based on resource, not on the best news coverage. So you tell me what's replacing that. As Books. Ho- and I can't read fast enough. As Jose Jimenez used to say, it's not my job. Huh. So, that was Freddie Prince, but that's okay. I remember Jose Hernandez, but Freddie Prince was the one who said it's not my job. I believe that. All right. All right. It's always good to have somebody with an actual yeah, Where do you get in this history. information elsewhere? <laughs> where would you get this if it weren't here? On the Media Project. That's all we have time for, folks, I'm afraid. That's the end of the Media Project for this week, blessedly. Maybe forever. Yeah. <laughs> That's Ira Fussfeld, Rosemary Armeo, Alan Shartok, and I'm Rex Smith. Thanks to our producer, David Gustina, for tolerating all of this, and you folks as well. Join us again next week for The Media Project. Yeah.